Microphone check. One, two. CC. Hello and welcome at CC. Hello and welcome at one, two, three, four, five, six. She sells seashells by the seashore. She sells seashells by the seashore. There we go. Rolling. It's really a journey, and uh, when people watch a documentary, they're extending their understanding of the world. They have to trust the integrity of the documentary filmmaker, because otherwise you were just seeing another distorted mirror. Hello and welcome to The Documentary Life, a show that sets out to inspire and inform you on how to best live and lead your own documentary life. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and this is episode number 63, and it is brought to you by Barong Films, proud creators of Documentary Film, The Documentary Life Podcast, and The Documentary Academy, our industry-changing A to Z documentary filmmaking program that will transform you into the documentary filmmaker that you've always wanted to be. Find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash academy. Last week, we had Academy Award-nominated director Steve James on the program. Not surprisingly, this was a pretty popular episode. Like myself, there seem to be many of you who have been inspired by his films like Hoop Dreams, Stevie, and of course his current film, Abacus, Small Enough to Jail. Prior to that particular episode, I'd posted on the TD Elf Community Facebook group an opportunity for members to ask Steve a question. Doc Lifer Jonathan, he took the opportunity and asked Steve about the necessity of conflict to build a story around, to which Steve basically replied that he didn't believe this to be a necessity at all. In fact, at times it could be a hindrance to the filmmaker, and certainly to the viewer, if they felt in any way that the filmmaker was trying to create a conflict where there might not really have originally been one. That in fact, there are many, many interesting and perfectly acceptable ways in which one can tell a story. In today's episode, well, it really happens to be a lot about story. Story and documentary filmmaking. Documentary writer and producer Stephen Most will later on be on the program discussing storytelling and its many documentary forms throughout the world. But first, when we come back from the break, I'm going to bring us into the subject of documentary storytelling by giving you five ways to tell someone's story. That and more on episode 63 of The Documentary Life. Hey everyone, I have a request to make. As you know, at the time of this episode, I've been doing the Documentary Life podcast for about a year and a half now. Every day now, I get an email or, or a social media mention from a doc lifer thanking me for the podcast. These absolutely make my day. It's so exciting to know that all of the hard work I've been putting into the podcast is having some positive impact on another doc filmmaker. And I just want to see this continue more and more. I really want to continue getting this show out to other doc filmmakers like you, who might also be able to find some inspiration from this show. So what I'm asking of you is this. I bet that you know of another doc filmmaker or maybe a group of doc filmmakers who, like yourself, would benefit from listening to this show. So if you have in any way been inspired or informed by the documentary life, please take a moment and let someone else know about it. 
Pick a favorite moment or a favorite episode and share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or any other social media platform. Write how the show has benefited your doc life. Provide a link to the show and tag both your friend and I in that post. Or if you wanted to email someone, you can do the same thing. Or even word of mouth is great too. Tell someone about the show and how it might be a great fit for them as well. I really believe that this show is doing some valuable and positive things out in the world. And so I'd like to see more doc filmmakers such as yourself benefiting from it. So any kind of mention or share from you would be immensely appreciated. Thank you for helping me out and taking a minute to do this. What I am about to now supply you with should not be considered a list of the different types of stories that we tell in documentary. These are not the various storytelling techniques that we employ as documentary filmmakers like personal docs or recreations or observational documentaries. Instead, this is merely five tips or suggestions for telling someone else's story. Often our doc films are about one chief subject or character. And this is a list of five ways, or devices if you prefer, in which to tell that someone's story. So let us begin. One storytelling device that's a tried and true method for telling someone's story is through the use of archival photos or footage. The first and maybe most obvious filmmaker, of course, that comes to mind might be the filmmaker Ken Burns. Any of his various doc series about the music form of jazz, the sport of baseball, or recently the Vietnam War, all of these rely very heavily on the use of archival photos or footage. But he might be a bit of an extreme example since it feels like 90% of his stories are often told through the usage of the archival footage. And certainly his films are very history focused. But what I'm more talking about is the documentary that is about another person. The point that I'd like to make here is that when telling the story of someone, old photographs or Super 8 films, for example, they're a great way to depict the story of someone's past without you know, perhaps having to recreate it yourself. There just seems to be a beautiful authenticity to the use of someone's personal collection of photos or home movies that can really connect the viewer to a subject. Number two, testimonials. Another great way in which to tell someone's story is by letting others tell the story of your subject. Testimonials are a wonderful way to have others speak to you about the life lived of your subject. Entertaining anecdotes, remembrances of their relationship with the subject, words that talk to the character of the person that your film is about. They're all great reasons for using testimonials. Look, It's one thing to hear a person talk about their own life, but that is simply one perspective, right? Getting the perspectives of other people, it can really help flesh out the story of someone's life in a more complex manner. Here, think of it this way. Would you rather see a film about you being told by your voice and your voice only? Or would you like to have others give their fresh and unique perspective on how they see you? I, for one, I'd most definitely choose the latter. Believe me, I hear myself talk too much as it is. And by the way, I suppose this podcast isn't really helping matters. So to hear someone else's take on my life, it could be a rather illuminating way in which to hear about my story, for better or for worse. (laughs) Number three, find the details. Now, while testimonials or hearing someone talk about someone else is certainly one way of portraying someone's story, 
But I sometimes find that the most telling moments are the ones in which the subject is completely unaware of being filmed, or when the camera is pointed in an entirely different direction than I might have imagined, or the director or editor is showing us something about the subject that couldn't necessarily come out in their own words or someone else's testimonials. You and your DP, or perhaps you might be one and the same, you should look for the deeper visual details that can tell aspects to a person and or their story. Perhaps the exterior of their house is immaculate. I'll give you an example. Perhaps the exterior of their house is, is it's immaculate. The gardens are not just kept up, they're beautifully manicured. The house looks like it's always wearing a fresh coat of paint. However, once the interior of the house is revealed, a different story is told, as things are maybe in utter disarray. Dirty clothes and food wrappers are on the floor. The bathroom drawers are open and items are spilled out onto the sink, which clearly has not been cleaned in ages. Take the time to study your subject, their manner of speaking, maybe nonverbals. Where do they place their keys when they come in the house? When and what do they eat? What are their early morning rituals? Are there any habits that they have long become unaware of themselves? Um, do they do crossword puzzles every day? Do they put on certain types of music during certain times of the day? It's the details that can really shine a light on what makes a person tick and how they tick. So try and always be conscious and take note of these sorts of things because they will often be a wonderful way to help paint the overall picture of a person. Number four. Become the Explorer. In one of our very early episodes of the podcast, we spoke with documentary filmmaker Ian McCluskey. Ian gave one of the more powerful and thoughtful discussions on what it means to be a documentary filmmaker and to live the life of a documentary filmmaker. You might remember him talking about the documentary filmmaker as an explorer. He said, first and foremost, you are explorers. You are expeditioners who happen to be documenting life. I love that quote. It's a great quote by Ian. And there's plenty of those in the episode. Not unlike finding the details about your subject, I believe that it is your duty and your privilege as a doc filmmaker, especially when telling someone's story, to become the explorer. Look at the story that you're setting out to tell as an opportunity to get in and truly explore who this person is, what makes them tick, how they have lived the life that they've lived. Investigate and dare I say, infiltrate your subject's very life. Because it is only through this investigation, infiltration, and thorough exploration that discovery can happen. And once discovery can happen for you, it can then happen for your viewer. Think of it in the way that Ian McCluskey does, where he said, I just keep taking this path and it presents itself project by project with new ways to explore the world and new experiences to have. So yeah, get out there filmmaker and explore, become explorers. The last recommendation that I'll leave you with in terms of telling someone's story is to allow for silences. Not just when conducting your interviews. And we've mentioned this in the past, how, how giving space instead of filling up those spaces with your, your own comments and replies, how it can allow for the subject to say something maybe more telling than the answer to your initial, initial question. But I'm not necessarily talking about that kind of silence, though I suppose it's, it's some of it, right? I'm talking more about not filling your film up with actual sound. 
not having to use music or sound bites or any kind of sound at all to constantly keep a viewer engaged or to create some kind of emotion. Sometimes just showing the visuals of your subject, whether it be archival photos or filming a moment of contemplation, it can be a very potent and powerful way of revealing something hidden deep within your character. Other moments that come to mind when employing silence, when you're watching a film and, and you hear the interviewer ask a particularly sensitive or surprising question and the subject's completely caught off guard and, and so instead of replying with something, you just sort of see the reaction on their faces. They may be at a loss for words. That moment played out on screen without the use of a music cue for emotion or the interviewer interrupting the moment with a word or two. That is the kind of silent moment that can be very telling. Or perhaps in your edit, you're cutting together a montage of photos and you're slowly panning and scanning to reveal, to reveal story or emotion in this fashion, without any voiceover or music, just some silent moments with visuals. Again, it can be a very powerful way to tell the story of someone. I hope that gives you some nice ideas for those of you who are telling the story of someone in your documentary projects. I'll go ahead and post these five ways to tell someone's story up in the show notes for this episode for anyone who might like to see them written out. All show notes for all episodes, they can be found by going to thedocumentarylife.com. I like to often put up links to examples that I talk about in my segments, or put up trailers, or sometimes even full documentary films from guests that we have on the show. If there's music that's played in the show or books that are referenced, I try and post these in the show notes as well. Show notes are basically a great supplement to episodes of the podcasts, so I'd encourage you to make that a regular part of listening to The Documentary Life. Next up, we'll sit down with four-time Academy Award writer and producer Stephen Most, and now author of the book Stories from the World, Reflections on Storytelling and the Art of the Documentary. And he will be taking us through the world of storytelling as a documentary filmmaker. I am your host, Chris G. Parkhurst, and we'll be right back on The Documentary Life. Okay, hands up. Who here is living a documentary life? Would you say that you are? What does it mean to live a documentary life anyway? Well, we'll happily give you our definition. To us, living your documentary life means that you have crafted your lifestyle in a way such that you are able to make the documentary films you choose to make without it negatively impacting other aspects of your life, be that financial, your immediate relationships, or personal wellness. And furthermore, through the creation of your art, your existence is sustainable, creative, and fulfilling. Would you say this describes you? If not, is this something that you want for yourself? It was what we wanted for ourselves, and it took us quite a while to achieve it. Truthfully, there were many times we didn't think we'd make it at all. We were living in a world that was reactive rather than proactive, and it was costing us greatly. If any of this resonates with you, we'd like to help you find a better way. Because once we were able to honestly say we were living our documentary lives, we could look back and see what had gotten us there, and we knew we had to share it with others. We broke it all down and put it into Living Your Documentary Life, a program that helps you to craft your own lifestyle, relationships, and mindset in ways that empower you to make your best documentary films. You can find out more at thedocumentarylife.com slash yourdoclife.
I'm honored to have documentary writer and producer Stephen Most with us today. Stephen, it's a pleasure to have you. I'm excited to have this conversation. It's my pleasure, Chris. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Absolutely. Stephen, I'd like to quickly read a brief bio. Stephen Most writes plays, books, and documentary screenplays. He is the writer or contributing writer of four Academy Award-nominated films and writer-producer of River of Renewal, which won a Best Documentary Award at the American Indian Film Festival. Now, Stephen, normally what I'll do with a guest is I would sort of, in a sort of linear fashion, I would start with, hey, let's talk Let's talk about your background. Let's find out where, where documentary film happened for you. But I feel like uh, with you, I'd like to try some something a little bit different, um, maybe a different approach. Not unlike what what you've done with your recent book, Stories Make the World. I'd like to take a sort of nonlinear approach to this conversation. So we'll jump around in time a bit. Um, I think the first thing that that I'd love to to ask you about with this release of of, of your of, of your recent book, let's talk about the title. It is not stories from the world which would kind of make sense for in, in, in a documentary sort of way or for documentary filmmakers. Instead, it is stories make the world. So maybe you could tell me why and how, how stories, in fact, make the world, Stephen. Well, the world is uh, something that we have in common uh, physically more than ever before. Hmm. We have access to each other all over the planet uh, through communications and, and transportation and and we can see the planet from space, so we know we're all in this together somehow. But in another sense, the world is is very much fragmented. In many cases, people rule others out of their world categorically. Mm. People don't accept the humanity of certain kinds of people. They don't. Many don't accept the the, the science that gives us a reality basis for our common ground. So it's really the, the stories that we tell in which we express who we are that give us a basis for understanding each other across these divides. And the second part of the title is Reflections on Storytelling and the Art of the Documentary. And, and you know, upon going through the book, I, I have to say that this is really how the book reads, um, which is to say as a reflection on storytelling as well as uh, an examination of documentary film as art. Um, I, I guess I'd say, how did you first come up with the premise for the book? I've been very fortunate to know great storytellers in a, in a great variety of contexts. The insight that led to the book is that there's a common ground, which is that storytelling is is an essential human experience. Mm. So people that I've known and who are known in other contexts, like the psychoanalyst Eric Erickson, the uh, political thinker Hannah Arendt, the shaman who became a great friend of mine in Peru, Eduardo Calderon, yeah, a, a, a painter, but many others, uh, uh, photojournalists, are are all storytellers uh, in various media in different cultural contexts. So with that insight, I understood that what I've done as a playwright, as a reporter as a documentary filmmaker, these are all forms of storytelling, this essential human experience. Mm. It would be interesting to look at how these forms of, 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 of storytelling are, are similar and different. As you're saying, you, you've set the book up in many ways as, as um, 
telling the story of other storytellers, as well as the traje- trajectory of your of your own work. And, and in fact, this is kind of how the chapters are, are set up. That's right. That's right. And, and the art of storytelling, to go back to your earlier question about the world, mm. part of nonfiction storytelling is a way of exploring and understanding the world. So it's, uh, and, and that's through looking at, at the same subject from multiple perspectives. So it's, it's really a journey. And uh, when people watch a documentary, they're extending their understanding of the world. They have to trust the um, integrity of the documentary filmmaker because uh, otherwise we're just seeing another distorted mirror. And, and of course, it's not only through the viewing of documentaries that we, you know, that, that people extend sort of their view and knowledge of the world. But as documentary filmmakers ourselves, that's a big part of, of why I think a lot of us make documentary films. It's this idea of exploration and, and trying to expand our own personal worlds, maybe in a more global sense. Would you, would you agree with that, Stephen? Absolutely. Uh, I came into uh, documentary filmmaking as a playwright, and then I had done some reporting as a way to uh, give myself a vehicle for meeting people and learning more on subjects I wanted to write plays about. And then, then I found myself doing this uh, with a film crew, mm. and I had access to people in places that I hadn't uh, been able to uh, connect with before. Yeah. It really expanded my world in a wonderful way. That has come up um, a handful of times throughout the life of this podcast. Um, I have listeners who are currently work or did work in the TV news industry, including myself, and and part of what really kind of moved us forward into documentary filmmaking was was being able to further and much more deeply uh, explore in a complex way the stories of people. Of course, with with TV news, it's a very brief um, it's a very brief news piece. And, and 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 I always felt honestly, I felt um, I almost felt like it was a disservice when we would sit down with someone and interview them and then have a news package that amounted to maybe 45 or 60 seconds later on, because I felt like I knew in my heart of hearts, the complete story was was never happening. And of course, I also understood why and how that was the case. But in many ways, it, it really um, intrigued my interest early on in documentary filmmaking and made made me want to further explore that so I could really kind of delve further into people's stories at, at a much more complex level. Well, I, I quite agree with you, and I, I applaud your determination to go beyond uh, the the news format because there are there is a formula there. It has to fit into a certain uh, set of slots mm. that people are uh, expecting uh, to give them their sense of, of the coverage of the news. But actually, the story is predetermined. A reporter for TV news will be looking for a particular kind of story. <laughs> Always right. Delve into the subject and get to know people. You're going to find a story that you didn't uh, understand before. And then you have to find a, a form that, that fits that, that brings that out in its own terms. This book, Stories Make the World, it's 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 no ordinary book on filmmaking. And what I mean by that, you know, in fact, in, in initial appearance of the book, it, it seems written with, with academia in mind. The cover is, is a rendering of, of, of Greek and Roman times, and the book itself is is filled with text. I think a lot of us are used to seeing um, when, 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 we, when we read a film book or we read a documentary film book, it's accompanied by diagrams and illustrations and, and photo stills. 
and, and, and that's not the case with this book. And yet when I read it, I was pleasantly surprised. There was a very healthy mixture of, of philosophical, educational, um, uh, emotional account of, 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 of doc filmmaking. I would ask you, who is really ultimately the target audience for this book? I've been trying to reach uh, two different audiences uh, in, in different ways, but simultaneously. Hmm. Uh, a book about storytelling as a central human experience, I think, has to be a good read. Yeah. People have to enjoy yes. <laughs> stories. I have to write in, the, in an engaging way that makes people want to understand the subjects that I'm writing about, hmm. just as I do as a documentary filmmaker. So yeah. to a certain extent, I've written a book for the general audience. I'd like people to pick it up in bookstores and start reading. Uh, also, people who are concerned about uh, the, uh, the terrible information environment and the disinformation that we're all exposed to oh boy this is something that concerns all of us so yeah. so there's i think a broad general audience that i would like to reach and that i try to reach when i go to bookstores and universities but at the same yeah. time i'd like my experience working on documentary films to be accessible right filmmakers to film students and i've done that uh i've addressed that need in a couple of ways yeah. one is a filmmaker or a film student can read the book backwards. Yes. In, uh, if you look at the index, if you look at certain categories like documentary storytelling, you'll see a multitude of subcategories, mm. edit, narration, frame of reference, transitions, so that if you're interested in a particular aspect of the craft, uh, you, can, you can look up the things that I say, which are often in the context of a particular show yes <laughs> it's actually exactly how i read the book <laughs> i did not read the book from from front to back um i i i just i ended up opening up and thumbing through it and immediately was drawn to a page which then led me to read the section and then i started looking in the back in the glossary because that inspired some other thoughts and and that's really very much how i went through the book was all over the place oh good i'm yeah. glad you made that and i enjoyed the experience that in, in that way so it's great to hear that in many ways it's very intentional. It is. And then the other feature that I think will appeal to filmmakers particularly is that this is a book with its own film festival. The um, the ebook has a direct link to a web page of a film distributor from which you can stream and download seven of the films I write about and see the trailers for free, look at the entire films for a dollar or two. So right. as I write about something like uh, uh, Nature's Orchestra, a film yes. about soundscape ecologist, you can, you can see the film. And when I talk about certain challenges in making the film and, and how they were resolved, how we made a good transition to unite the stories of oil and ice, you can see how we did it on screen. Um, the the website is uh, the video project slash stories for those who don't get the ebook and and often there's a, a card with this URL that's inserted in the paperback. Right. I can the distributor to do that every time. Yeah. I'm glad that you bring that up because because that was one of the unique things about the book. Now I mean it's not unique in the it's not unique that a nowadays a book be accompanied by links but what you've done here is there's literally a site 
um, where you can find not only your documentary films, but documentary films from people around the world. And it does kind of give that sort of film festival sense, um, the video projects link. And, 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 and what happened first, Steve? Did, did, did someone from video projects reach out to you or did you or your publisher find them and, 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 and think that you guys would be kind of a good fit with one another? Well, the video project has, is distributing quite a number of the films that I've uh, written and produced. So I've known them over the years. And, and one of their founders, uh, Steve Michelson, um, has been an executive producer for several of my films. Okay. So this is my idea. I brought it to him. And, uh, of course, this is a good thing for the video project because they can stream and download uh, many, many films in their catalog. Right. Uh, including the ones I write about in my book. Anybody want to guess what's happening here? What's happening with the ice on Timber Lake is it's springtime, almost summer. And so the ice is beginning to crack. And when the ice cracks and expands, it creates that kind of sound. We've got uh, light rain here, and uh, we've got uh, some clouds, actually some low clouds over in some of the passes, and maybe some snow, but um, it's, it's very squally over here. I think this kind of work is very important as an aspect of preservation of habitats. The soundscape is the voice of a living habitat, and, uh, and to the extent that it connects with the uh, a perspective of the health of that habitat is what's so critical. For if we listen, our ears tell us that the whisper of every leaf and creature speaks to the very sources of our lives. You mentioned Nature's Orchestra, a documentary that uh, that you worked on with, um, well, in many ways, with Bernie Krause, or it was certainly about Bernie Krause. Uh, there are not a ton of people that know who Bernie Krause is. I do because I'm kind of a sound geek, and uh, that one definitely, um, that definitely, uh, I guess w- when I saw that, I thought, you know what, I have to ask Stephen most about about his about his time with with, with Bernie. I'm, I'm a big fan of his work through his his Wild Sanctuary organization, which is basically dedicated to. Um, for, for those who don't know, it's dedicated to the recording and archiving of natural soundscapes. You mention him in your title, uh, Theater of History. And of course, as a writer for the documentary film Nature's Orchestra, um, what, what did you learn by working with someone like, like Bernie? Um, because, he, you know, there's an important stress here on, on, on listening, certainly in his work, right? And, and, and not to be heavy-handed here, but, but how can we apply this as documentary filmmakers, this idea of listening, whether it's to our subjects or to our environment? an extremely important point that you bring up and it may be that the most important thing that we do is documentary uh, storytellers is listen uh, we really need to listen to people to to uh, give them the confidence to tell their story mm. rather than you know, uh, present them with a, a, a pre-selected set of questions that we would ask anyone you know each person is is unique so we need to listen to who that person is and look at the world of, of the subject that brings us to that person uh, from their point of view. So listening is all important. The other uh, way I would answer your question is that documentary film is a visual medium and it has a lot of 
power because uh, uh, the evidence of our eyes is so compelling. But the, the dimension of sound is all important, uh, getting good sound recording <laughs> so that we can hear people, can hear the, uh, the environment. Uh, uh, this, is, this is extremely important, uh, often on a subliminal level. Uh, and, and Bernie is someone who has always had bad eyesight. He's, uh, he's an oral, oral person. He's a, he's a musician. Right. He was one of the Weavers. He took Pete Seeger's place. Yes. The Weavers. And uh, then he had a, a, a career in, in music, uh, writing, uh, introducing the Moog synthesizer to uh, <laughs> That's right. performers, George Harrison and others, uh, uh, writing scores for films and using the synthesizer. He was very successful, but he really uh, hated the business, mm. a lot of jobs in the music business, as you might imagine. Yeah, it makes sense. And here's somebody who loved the outdoors who was in studios all the time. Mm. So when he when somebody told him, well, how, how about making a <laughs> an album based on ecology? That was a new word to him. Yeah. He went outdoors with a great headset and a good microphone and started listening to natural sounds. And that really opened up a world for him. He became a scientist. He traveled to every every part of this planet he assembled an archive of tens of thousands of sounds and he made a major scientific discovery as a musician he heard uh, he had a job uh, recording a soundscape in a waterhole in kenya and he was in a tent while the hyenas and all sorts of birds were <laughs> uh, vocalizing around him and it sounded to him like a symphony. <laughs> when he looked at the spectrogram, he realized that all of these animals that had evolved together for millions of years in this place uh, were making sounds in distinct frequency niches so they could hear each other. Right. And, and so most people think about nature sounds as you know, recording a particular bird. You collect sounds of birds just as, you, as bird watchers collect you know, a list of the birds they've seen. Mm. Really what Bernie has done is is record soundscapes, the ecology of sound in various places. And this is a very rich source of information. It's also a great way to teach ecology because you could see in one image on a spectrogram the uh, the whole range of sounds that come from the place. It makes me think of the sound person on set who because sound people always seem seem to have like a smirk on their face. Like they know something that the rest of the crew doesn't. And when you think about it, they're kind of back there mixing sound. They hear everything. They could perform their job with their eyes closed. And it's very much if you, you know, it's it's very much if you if you go out with a microphone and you wear a pair of headsets and you just point your shotgun in certain directions. It it's amazing this the 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 it's amazing the sounds that you hear that have always been there that you don't really realize until you suddenly you put a microphone to it or you focus your mind on it. And um, it, it's it's very applicable to what we're talking about here in many ways, in particular uh, for filmmakers, because when we sit down to put our films together, um, it's sound that 
really shapes emotion and really shapes stories in the edit room. And I think a lot of us, it's easy to kind of forget that. It's easy to forget that and really focus simply on on the video because that's what we uh, that's what we see in front of us. But audio audio is something that we talk about and stress a lot here on the program because of the power of story, storytelling through um, through oral presentation. That's right. Uh, we see across a distance. There's a kind of coldness to just a visual uh, 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 sense of, of what we what is before us. But uh, sound literally gets inside our bodies, and uh, it's very very intimate in, in ways that you know, will go beyond our our rational mind. And uh, I think that when we listen to uh, to birds to, to wildlife as we walk or hear the wind in the in the leaves uh, it gives us uh, an intimate sense of being in a place that, that just seeing doesn't provide so um, my, my wife is an is an audio producer and she insists ah. that we get good sound that I bring a sound recordist uh, with the film crew and yes and she's entirely right. It's, she it's, is entirely right. <laughs> Absolutely, Stephen. Something that was always, and, and this is this is moving on to another uh, another subject that's in the book. Something that was always sort of journalism 101 when I was in university, and and certainly nowadays seems more relevant than ever is uh, is subjectivity and objectivity. In in doc filmmaking, we have to think about our approach. Um, in a similar fashion as, as journalism, only it, it's it's with terms like impartiality and uh, objectivity. Uh, I'd like to read something that you wrote in the introduction of, of your book that is about this. You wrote, impartiality is not the same as objectivity, a standard mistakenly applied in judging documentaries. Like the storyteller whose lives I portray, and in contrast both to writers of fiction who have no commitment to factuality, and to reporters whose story's primary purpose is to impart information, I choose subjects I find meaningful. Objectivity implies the absence of personal interest. Impartiality results from a journey that, from the beginning, it matters to the writer, filmmaker, or other teller of tales, then moves beyond personal interest toward a horizon that interests the public at large. I love that. It's a great part of your introduction. And, and I would ask you, Stephen, how should we be approaching our docs with these, with impartiality and objectivity in mind? Well, first of all, we're, we, we care about the subjects we make films about. You know, we're partial uh, to, to learning about, let's say, the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. We might want to make a film about a hero of ours. Uh, you know, somebody I, I respect greatly like Bernie Krause. But at the same time, one, one has to go beyond one's personal perspective because not everybody's going to feel the way that I do. And, and, and what if... Um, um, my personal hero, uh, let's say Lance Armstrong, turns out to have been uh, doping his way to success and lying to everybody in the process. <laughs> Which, uh, you know, so 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 one has to be impartial in the sense that um, a um, a scientist is impartial. A scientist will have a um, a thesis. Uh, theory and uh, 
try to to uh, have experiments to determine whether it's correct or not. And and what a, a scientist will do is try to prove that this is not the case in every possible mm. It has to withstand every test right. in order to be recognized as valid. This is the same thing in in a court case. Um, yes, there's there's going to be uh, a defendant. There's going to be some charge of, of wrongdoing, but uh, all the evidence available is going to be brought to bear to see whether this uh, this charge is valid or not. So, right. you know, being impartial is. Uh, doesn't mean that we don't have a, a personal stake in our story. Mm. Uh, whereas objectivity uh, suggests that this is the truth and there's nothing to be said about it. Uh, it's sort of necessity. It's, it, it, it determines. Uh, it, and that, that's where the voice of God kind of narration that I find so offensive comes in. Yes. <laughs> I like the discovery. You know, you think something, yeah. you find something else out, and gradually a bigger picture emerges that, is is valid not might not be the truth because you can explore subjects from different perspectives and find different things out but it's valid it's based on valid uh, evidence and it's based on having gone through all of the challenges that might prove things uh, what you'd like to put forward to be wrong and, and by chance is the is the Lam, Lance Armstrong sort of example that you referenced earlier does that is, is that referencing uh, Alex Gibney the doc filmmaker is that is that referencing his experience when he was filming Lance Armstrong that's right he set out to make a he'd been doing all of these uh, hit pieces like the trial of Henry Kissinger yeah and, you know, the, the, the film about Enron Yes. And so finally, he wanted to make a positive film about someone he really admired. <laughs> it didn't turn out that way. <laughs> didn't quite turn out that way. And I, and I think he's just stayed with that since, really, thematically. <laughs> I would be remiss having a conversation with you without bringing um, an earlier film that you worked on up. Uh, back in back in December, we had on doc filmmaker Lourdes Portillo, who recently accepted an IDA Career Achievement Award. Her her very first film, Las Madres, the the Mothers of the Plaza, a film about the struggle of Argentinian mothers to recover their dis- disappeared children. It was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Documentary. This was in 1986, I believe, and 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 you were a consulting writer on this, were you not? I was, yes. Do you remember working with Lourdes? Well, yes, I do. And in fact, my wife, uh, Claire Schoen, was the sound recordist who went to Buenos Aires with them. Wow. I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell you what, Stephen. It, it's, oh, I feel like every time I have a guest on this program, the world it, it just becomes smaller. It's absolutely amazing um, um, how, how really, even in a global sense, we doc filmmakers are uh, intimately connected. That's, in, that's incredible. Um, tell me about the experience working with Lourdes. And, uh, and, um, and yeah, and, and, and did you think that at the time um, this would be an Academy Award nominee? Well, uh, first of all, uh, there were two filmmakers that I worked with, uh, right. Portillo and Susana uh, Blaustein Munoz, uh, who, is, who is from Argentina and was, was going to uh, her country of birth at a very fraught period in its history. So mm. there was this personal danger yeah. for Susana and, and for Lourdes uh, making a film 
about the Las Madres at, at that moment. Of course, they, they interviewed people in the military government. So this was a, a dangerous situation. I admire their determination and their courage. You, I know from uh, hearing about the production from Claire that it was a very, very intense experience for them. Man, yeah. I, I uh, was, as consulting writer, I, I think what I did was uh, I made a small contribution, mm. but I think it was an important contribution because mm. when uh, Lourdes and Susanna came back and were putting together a narration that would frame their subject, they were, they were, of course, very involved emotionally, and their, their negative feelings toward the dictators, their completely justified anger at what had happened to Argentina, came out in every syllable. And yet that's, that's not where the audience is. You have to start where the audience is and bring them with you, so that if you're uh, presenting something that's emotionally loaded at the beginning. Mm. And if it's coming from your voice and you're not showing it through the whole experience of the film, it's not going to work. Uh, it's going to seem like, like propaganda. You're going to lose a lot of your audience early on. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and by bringing you onto that project, you're, I think, I think what you're saying here is you're able to, um, understandably so, when they came back from what they experienced in Argentina, uh, you weren't there. And so you might not have the emotional attachment to the topic or the subject or the subjects within the film. And so do you feel like you were able to sort of um, help them sort of see through that and see through their own attachments um, emotionally? I don't know how I helped them in yeah. their own perception, but I worked with the text of the narration and I yeah. I pulled it back to make it uh, emotionally neutral. Yes. So anyone in the audience could relate to it. Well, I didn't go to Argentina with them. I have been in Argentina. In fact, yes. I have family in Argentina. So I, I did I, see that. Yeah. I do care a lot about what happens to that country. Yeah. But even though I, I have uh, personal feelings about, uh, about the dictator. I'm sure you do. <laughs> I'm sure you do. People I knew, I, I, I once worked with a troop of Argentine, Argentinian, uh, actors. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and performed in a play for them. So, and, and then they went back. So I don't know what happened to them. So I, I care a lot, but, uh, as a, as someone, uh, who's done some reporting, I was able to to pull back the narration so that it would be accessible to everyone from the beginning. Stephen, filmmaking in general is a very collaborative art. Um, everyone everyone kind of works in conjunction with one another to create the film. H however, in features, the director, along with the editor, and in many ways, of course, really is the carver of the story. You know, he or she ultimately shapes the final story that's that's told on screen. However, in documentary, I think this idea of a collaborative art may be, may be more present. And, 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 you, and, you, and you stress this in the book, that, that it's a collaboration between a director, the writer, and the editor. And, and, and I myself might even add the, D, the DP at times. Um, why do you think it's so prevalent in, the, in, the, in documentary as opposed to, say, uh, say, Hollywood? Well, there's quite a distinction between feature films and documentaries. I think it was expressed best by Alfred Hitchcock. 
<laughs> so I got this quote from Walter Murch. He later told me he got it from Hitchcock. Yes. <laughs> On a feature film, the director is God. In a documentary, it's the other way around. <laughs> That's right. It's such a great quote. <laughs> it's so fantastic. When you make a documentary, you don't know what you're going to get. Even if it's a documentary about something that's happened before, so that you've read all the books, gone to the place, you don't know who's going to work on camera. Mm. You don't know what images you're going to get or how it'll all fit together. Uh, there are many unknowns. And then when you're doing a documentary about a, uh, a story that is unfolding, I Am, a film about wildfires and climate change, Yes, you just don't have any idea what you'll have to deal with when the film is complete. Oh, boy. And, and so this requires judgment. It requires, I think, um, conversation between people who all want to make a good film but have different perspectives, different understanding, different kinds of knowledge, just as members of our audience will be coming from very different places as they, as they look at the film. We're really looking at the world from uh, multiple perspectives in, in making the documentary. We have to make many judgments about what is important, how things fit together. Uh, and I always like to work with people who have different kinds of knowledge, different forms of expertise. Mm -hmm. If they're not filmmakers, I'll bring in, for example, a, an expert, a, a scientist or a historian, mm -hmm. make sure that we've got it right. Because I don't uh, believe that one documentary filmmaker necessarily has command of the subject as as it needs to be understood. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, that's absolutely. I think probably a lot of us do that in many ways. I think it's a great way um, to approach um, to approach your documentary filmmaking. Um, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, another thing that, that 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 would be remiss if I didn't ask you, and it's and it really in part it's um, it's a. Uh, it's because I, I came from a radio background. In, in, in the 80s and 90s, you did some radio documentary work. I would love to hear, Stephen, about your involvement in this and how perhaps, you know, it may have set you up, this radio storytelling or radio doc storytelling, how this may have set you up for success with your doc film work later on. Well, as I mentioned, uh, my wife, Claire Schoen, is, is an audio producer. Yes. I met her. She was a documentary filmmaker. She worked with ah. a, a, a film crew, an independent film crew, and, and she focused on sound. And then when uh, our first child was born, she figured that she could focus on the sound and make, make audio documentaries uh, on their own. I've learned a tremendous amount from Claire. Uh, part of it is just the, the craft of producing. Mm a program that's very difficult it wasn't part of my my dna there's a many different kinds of work involved in producing work. <laughs> yes but i i also of course learned uh, the importance of sound which we were talking about earlier um and and then uh there are some subjects that you can uh learn about you can ask people about uh when having a camera is just too obtrusive yes and would not get the kind of response the honest response you need and uh one documentary series that i worked on with claire was about salvadoran refugees this was in the 80s 
uh, Voices in Exile, it's called. Uh, it, there's, it was also distributed in Spanish throughout Latin America. Uh, and of course, the people interviewed were uh, refugees. Yeah. They, were, they were illegals, as, as uh, people like to say today, yeah. hiding. Uh, so these aren't people who want to appear before a camera. In addition, one of the most powerful interviews was with a Salvadoran refugee who had been the driver for a death squad. Mm, 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 mm. Hear him speak. I mean, <laughs> that yeah. was profound and moving. This is not something I think he would have dared do on do. camera. That's right. Right. So often I will do, um, uh, just bringing that now to yeah. video documentaries, often I will do a round of, of interviews with people without a camera just to, sometimes I'll just have paper and pencil or I'll, I, uh, I have a Zoom recorder as you do uh, <laughs> that people at ease and uh, um, then then I can go back to them with the camera I think that's right well I'll tell you a story along these lines uh, I was uh, in production on River of Renewal hmm. about the Klamath Basin and uh, I was with a I was traveling with the film crew we stopped at the home of a, a Karuk medicine man, Charlie Tom, very charismatic man, uh, whom I wanted to interview on camera. But I, I learned that he had just broken up with his girlfriend like the day before. And I think oh, gosh. it <laughs> have been a time when he wanted to be on camera. Yeah. It might have been a very emotional time for him. Wow. So I, I left the, the, the uh, <laughs> all the equipment in the van. Wow. I introduced him to my collaborators, but uh, we didn't uh, we didn't let on that we were actually on a shoot. But he's a medicine man; he figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> and how did that affect the interview after that? Well, we were hardly in there for five minutes when he said, "Come on, bring on the cameras. Let's talk." Perfect. That's right. And he would have kept us up all night. Wow. That's so great. <laughs> go on to do more filming the next day. That's <laughs> fantastic. Stephen, as we move towards wrapping up here, um, one of the things that I wanted to make sure to mention, and you, you know, we, we briefly discussed it early on in the interview in this conversation was that there is a, um, there's a video component that goes along with your book. Again, the title of the book is stories make the world reflections on storytelling and the art of the documentary. There's a video component um, um, to the book. Tell us where the readers, uh, where we can go um, to view what, what is being referred to as the film festival that, that accompanies the book. The URL is the video project slash stories. So, uh, and it's part of the website of the Video Project, which is a film distributor that carries a number of the films I've worked on, but also many excellent films on a number of subjects. So I, I recommend that, that you go there uh, for my book or, or for the other works of the Video Project. Absolutely. And, and for my listeners, I'll be sure, of course, to put, uh, put all information about this episode, um, as well as the video projects link. And, and of course, the book Stories Make the World, that will be up in the show notes for this episode. Uh, Stephen, this has been an absolutely uh, a wonderful conversation from, from a man who has years of both uh, audio and video and film uh, documentary experience. 
um, as a writer, both as a writer and as a producer. And uh, you have been in the around the world of documentary film for quite some time. And this has certainly been an, an illuminating uh, conversation. And uh, I have to say, I may want to speak with Claire Schoen at some point. I had no idea. This is this is great. <laughs> I'll, I'll let her know. I'm sure she'd love to talk. Fantastic. Uh, Stephen, are there any final words that you might like to impart um, to the TDL audience? And, and, and I think I mentioned to you at the outset of the program that our audience is primarily made up of, of people who are, who are well acquainted with video and film. Um, perhaps they even work in video or film production, um, but this may be their first or second time doing their own documentary film. With that in mind, Stephen, what are some final words you might like to impart to these documentary filmmakers? I would like filmmakers uh, around the world to know that our information media are evolving and to keep your eye on that because there may be new forms to follow through that will allow you to uh, get your work into the public eye uh, as it could not before. Filmmakers used to have all sorts of bottlenecks. We had to go to the program selection people at uh, a few uh, stations. We weren't able to reach people directly. Now, of course, we have the resources of the Internet. We can go to YouTube. We can stream and download. But also remember that at certain moments when uh, crises are occurring, mm. um, the Arab Spring, for example, we're uploading YouTubes, and we were able to follow things in real time. Well, a story that we might want to tell that has a beginning, middle, and end is something that we could follow using documentary skills in real time. Right. Not finding, finding people who can give us videos of what's going on, finding people who can comment on those things so that we can uh, uh, really uh, make them available yeah. to, to viewers as this event is occurring, building our audience base before we put it into a final form as a documentary story. I've been speaking with Stephen Most, the author of Stories Make the World, Reflections on Storytelling and the Art of the Documentary. Stephen, thank you so much for being on The Documentary Life. It's been quite an honor. Thank you so much, Chris. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Don't forget, if you're looking to live and lead a documentary life, you need to head over to thedocumentarylife.com slash yourdoclife and take a look at our Living Your Documentary Life program. We'll help you craft your lifestyle so that you are able to make the documentary films that you want to make and live the doc life you want to live. Mm -hmm.